With football right around the corner, there's no better place to get in on all of the action than with DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. To celebrate the return of football, DraftKings is giving all users a complete no-brainer to start the season. Listen up because you do not want to miss this. Have you ever heard of a football team losing by 100 points? Well, for week one, DraftKings is ensuring that even if the Kansas City Chiefs were to lose in historic fashion, you would still cash your bet. That's right. DraftKings Sportsbook has moved the spread to Kansas City plus 101 points for all users. So even if Kansas City loses by 100 points, you still win big with DraftKings Sportsbook. That's a no-brainer. On top of that amazing offer, DraftKings has given away up to $100 million in prizes to all users who enter their free football survival pool. All you have to do is sign up for DraftKings Sportsbook, enter their survival pool, and you'll instantly get a share of up to $100 million in giveaways. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code RAINBOW to take advantage of this no-brainer of an offer. That's promo code RAINBOW to get in on all of the action for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only. Other terms and conditions and restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Welcome to the Rainbow Skyline Podcast on The Athletic. And I told him, listen, if you see me around Denver, Colorado, anywhere, it's all about the Nuggets right now. Rainbow. Rainbow. Hello and welcome to this week's episode, second episode, wow, lucky you, of the Rainbow Skyline Podcast. I'm Dave DeFore. Kendra Andrews is here. Uh, We're still buzzing after the Game 7. I mean, you know, we talked last night because, you know, we did the little little post-gamer and... uh, that was a fun game, and it's crazy how different it was from the rest of the series. I mean, heading into that game, someone asked me, what do you think the vibe is going to be? What do you think the tempo is going to be? I was like, it's going to be fast-paced. It's going to be high-scoring because based off of everything else we've seen, that would make a lot of sense. But it was a grit and grind, not the prettiest of, of games, and I felt that the last couple plays really encapsulated just the vibe of that game. Really good defense and some sloppy offense. And that's how the game was won. Gary Harris came in and poked that ball away from Donovan Mitchell, who was trying to get one last shot attempt. The Nuggets bring it back down the court. There was a miscommunication between Jamal Murray and Torrey Craig. And Jamal passed the ball to Torrey. He was not expecting it and flubbed the layup. Mike Connolly gets it back, takes a good-looking three-pointer that kind of dipped in and then popped out. And that was that Nuggets win in advance. That, that that Conley shot goes in 99 other times. I don't know how it came out. Um, maybe they adjusted the rims because they've looked soft <laughs> this entire time with guys not missing shots, and they looked pretty hard in this game. But, you know, Jamal, so Jamal gets the ball, and I don't want to harp on this because there is no Game 7 without Jamal Murray. Mm-hmm. Okay. You're in the heat of battle. I get it. And he grabs the ball and he's just taking off and trying to get a trying to get to the basket where, you know, ideally he dribbles the clock out and they play the free throw game and, and win it nice and calm. I can only imagine 
Mike Malone calling, <laughs> like, you know, a heart doctor immediately after the game and just saying, hey, I uh, just need to <laughs> – I don't know what happened, but my heart just stopped. Yeah. he In the locker room afterwards, after the game, he said they were getting their final huddle up before dispersing. And <laughs> Malone goes – Next time we have a fast break, do not pass it to Tory Craig. Oh, <laughs> Whatever no. happens, don't give it to him. But I mean, it I was mean, tough. Gobert was yeah. there, and, and you know, here's the other thing. I I saw on the replay, Gobert actually stepped out of bounds after the rebound. So and, you know, league, that would have been in question. Yeah, in the league today, the refs corrected. Well, they can't really correct themselves, but came out and said that they did miss that call, which yeah. would have been really big if. Connolly had hit that shot. Also, they said that Mason Plumley fouled Gobert earlier, a couple minutes before. They didn't call that. That also would have. But see, I'm not a fan of relitigating. The, the, the game is over. The, the Connolly shot missed. Um, do want to talk about Jokic in this game? Mm-hmm. Thirty points. You know, it just seems like when when they need him to, this is what he he's able to do. And this is now the third game seven of his career, and he's put up 30 and 10 in every single one of them. So, you know, this guy clearly steps up when he has to. It's unfortunate that you have to put him up against the wall to get him to do that. But, you know, it's neither here nor there. But he had the game winning shot in this. And, and and there's been a lot of discussion around Jokic, uh, especially the defensive aspect of Jokic. But this is what he gets paid to do to make that offense hum. And, and yes, they didn't score a lot of points, but they scored when it mattered. And, and that game winner was huge. Exactly. I mean, Nikola Jokic has saved this team so many times throughout the series with several game winning shots, because like you said, that's what he di- does. He can perform in crunch time, per- maybe better than anyone else on this team, which is why he is still their best player. He is still the guy who's, you want to have the ball as the seconds are winding down. Um, And, you know, there was a bunch of conversations of, is this Jamal's team now after his incredible performance in the playoffs? And you can't take anything away from what Jamal accomplished, but it's also important not to forget. And Malone pointed this out after the game that yes, Nikola Jokic's performances were quieter because Jamal was taking that spotlight, but Jokic had a solid series as well, and he did exactly what his team needed him to do every step of the way. When Jamal Murray was going off, they didn't need Jokic to go off. They needed him to facilitate, so he did. In Game 7, Jamal Murray wasn't going off. They needed him to step up and hit shots, and he did. They He does exactly what his team needs him to do, which is what you want from your leader, yeah, and he was massive. And again, they don't get there if Jamal Murray doesn't take over. It's just uh goes without saying. That guy is insane. Um all right. The other part of game 7, that was a surprise. You mentioned the scoring was down, guys weren't hitting shots, some of that game 7, you know, tightness, jitters. Mm-hmm. But also Gary Harris game 2. They're now 2 and 0 with Gary Harris in the bubble. Just throwing that out there. You got Gary Harris Tory Craig and Jerry Grant playing really good defense. And that's what this team is going to need going forward. How, how important were they? Huge. I mean, Gary Harris's presence is so big for the Nuggets, especially on defense. Offense, it's another whole, it's a whole other thing. Defense, it's huge. And Tory Craig today in practice said Gary and him 
talked about how much more they like it when each other on the floor because it just helps them out so much, especially in a series against the team like the Jazz where they have Clarkson, Mitchell, and Conley. By having both of those guys out there who are solid perimeter defenders, it's not all on one guy. Of course, you have Jeremy Grant too, but he, he's a bigger guy. You think they, they kind of want him a little bit closer into the paint, handling some of those other big bodies. So then when you have all three of them on the court, all of your bases are covered. But I mean, Gary Harris, his, I mean, his defense saved this, the series for them really. And to, to not play for six months and then have the impact that he had in those final two games, it goes to show why they like him and what they expect of him. They don't need his offense right now, especially, you know, maybe there will be times that they do, but if you get Michael Porter Jr. scoring, maybe you don't even need his offense that much. You need his defense and that's what he gave them. I mean, if Gary offers them any offense, it's a bonus. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. They'll take it. Yeah, you, but they don't expect it. Um, you know, they they made some changes to the starting lineup, moving Monte Morris into the starting lineup. I think that that was a big deal, having that steadying force and a guy who can defend. And bringing Porter off the bench certainly limits the impact he's going to have in the game. But, you know, he still put up 10 points in this game. I mean, that's not a, that's not a small amount of points when your team only scores 80. So it, it was 10 more points than they were going to get out of that spot. Right. And I think because Michael Porter had such a phenomenal uh, seeding performance or performance in the seeding games, I think there was, and, and then he was in the starting lineup to start those first couple games. I think there was just this expectation that he was just going to take over and it was going to be his like coming out party and it was going to be Michael Porter Jr. everything. But we also have to remember that he's still a rookie and that that's not I mean, it could very well be his role in the future, but that's not what they needed from him in this moment. So they'll take the 10 bench points from him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe next season he has an increased role. Maybe he's a starter next season. Maybe it changes as this Clippers series goes on. Who knows? But he, similar to Jokic, he gave them what they needed in that moment. And you can't be mad at him giving 10 solid points while also rebounding while also at least trying to improve his defense and putting more effort um, in on that end of the court too. The one guy in the starting lineup that I've got question marks about, uh, Paul Millsap, he only played 14 minutes in game seven. He's been a Mm non-factor pretty much the entire time they've been in Orlando. I I haven't seen anything. I I don't think you've seen anything uh, about him being injured. He's just having a bad run. But there's a certain point where I wonder if they need to just take him out of the starting lineup and, and maybe put Torrey Craig in there. I mean, you've got you've got Jeremy Grant who can slide up. That's not an issue. You know he can he can guard fours. As a matter of fact, against the Clippers, he might give you a little bit more versatility out there as far as switching if you want to or whatever. But the Millsap, I, I, I want I'm going to say Millsap disappointment. Mm-hmm. Is is palpable. This series is different if they get their usual Paul Millsap. Completely, and you know Paul's been that guy. I had been saying that during the regular season, he was one of their most consistent players because you could always count on him to show up and give you a really solid twenty, twenty-five, maybe thirty minutes, depending on the game, and just go in there and 
play really solid defense and knock down some shots. I think he hit as many three pointers as he had as like in his career this year, his three point shooting percentage was some of the best that he's seen. And so it, it was very surprising and a little shocking to see him struggle so much. You know, Michael Malone said he acknowledged the fact that Millsap has not been playing his best, but he says that he still trusts him. And Malone's a guy who he does trust his veteran players. Um, but at the same time, you have to do what's best for your team. And I completely agree with you about, about, you know, maybe switching Tory Craig into the starting lineup. And honestly, I was surprised when Millsap remained in the starting lineup for that entire series, when Michael Malone made those switches and put Jeremy Grant in the starting lineup and Monte Morris in the starting lineup, I thought he was going to leave Tory Craig actually and, and just replace Millsap with Jeremy Grant, but he decided to keep Millsap. And I'm, you know, I, I don't really know why I'm not going to criticize his decision. It's his choice, but it did, it did seem like you, he was not fully addressing the issues that was going on in that original starting five that got them off to a little bit of a slower start besides game one. It could just be that he's trusting his, his vet and, and that he, he likes him out there at the start of games. I don't know. Um, but I do know that he's just having no impact whatsoever. And mm-hmm. in the series against the, the Clippers, they're going to need him to do something and, and they can't just play zeros. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm not saying that Paul Millsap is a bad player or anything like that, but they need positive impact, not just nothing. And, and as a matter of fact, on the defensive end, he's been downright awful for them, unable to rotate out to shooters, mm-hmm. not providing much help at the basket. So if he's not going to do those things, you you have to you know minimize his his impact for the other team, right? You need to like get him out of there. Maybe getting him against second units, you get him going a little bit. You know, I, I maybe he's a guy as we look ahead to the Clippers series, maybe he's a guy that plays a little bit more center instead of Plumley as the backup center uh against Montrez Harrell. Yeah. Definitely a possibility. Yeah, and so I mean something that you said that just made me think of this now is that when Michael Porter Jr. was struggling on defense and the Jazz attacked him every single time, that is when Michael Malone made that change of mm-hmm. pulling him from that starting lineup. So it is interesting, as you mentioned, Millsap struggling to rotate and struggling to close out. And it, it is interesting that he he didn't it do... It wasn't as obvious, right? That, the Millsap yes. struggles aren't as obvious as when a team is matchup hunting the way that mm-hmm. they were in those early games with Jordan Clarkson and, and Donovan Mitchell on Michael Porter Jr. And, and I think that it, it there's no way that coach staff doesn't know that Millsap was struggling. I mean, obviously they've they've spoken to it, but I think that it looks it doesn't look as bad when they aren't doing the matchup targeting thing, right? It's almost like you're you're losing on the margins and it's so hard to miss that because you're so focused on what's happening up at the point of attack. And, and this happens a lot in the NBA. It happens at every level of basketball where you miss some some other bad defensive aspects mm-hmm. because of the big glaring one, which is point of attack defense for the Nuggets. And so, you know, it's just like, well, they're giving up so many jump shots, you don't really see how awful he's been protecting the basket. And then the jump shots are so often happening above the break. You're also not seeing or not – 
seeing him often enough, trying to run out to shooters at the corners. So maybe it's not that bad. I, I mean, I can, I'm just sitting here right. on the fly rationalizing this, but that may actually be what it is. I don't know. Either way, the Clippers are going to make him pay for it. Yep. Kendra, let's take a brief break, and then we'll be back with the rest of the show. Just like the Nuggets came back against the Jazz, live sports are back and in full swing. And guys, we're getting Clippers Nuggets in the second round of the playoffs. That's why our partners at Manscaped have partnered with us to make sure your Nuggets are as safe as possible when you're watching these games. Manscaped is here to provide you the best tools for your male grooming experience. The Lawnmower 3.0 is simply the best hygiene tool for the modern man. They actually just released a Shears 2.0 nail kit, which is the perfect addition to your Lawnmower 3.0 trimmer. Their Perfect Package 3.0 comes with that Lawnmower waterproof cordless body trimmer, performance boxer briefs, which I absolutely adore, and a travel bag that you'll get to use when we're able to go places again. Don't forget the Perfect Package also comes with the Crop Preserver and Crop Reviver. The Crop Preserver is an anti-chafing ball deodorant. Got to deodorize them. It's important. The Crop Reviver is a spray-on toner. It's made with soothing aloe and witch hazel extracts. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code THEATHLETIC20. Take your grooming game to the next level. Should we talk about the Clippers? Let's, let's talk some L.A. basketball. Pat Beverly, right now, questionable. Mm-hmm. That's a big deal for the Clippers, but it's a bigger deal for the Nuggets. Absolutely. I mean, I was talking about this with our colleague, Nick Cosmiter, who used to be on the Nuggets beat, now over covering Broncos. But we were talking about how, what are the roles of Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic going to look like in this series against the Clippers? Because obviously, Jamal Murray got rolling against the Jazz where that Gobert and Jokic matchup, I'm who knows, is it, did he have less, did Nicola have less scoring because Gobert, because of the Gobert matchup? We don't know. Or he was just taking a backseat. But they didn't have anyone to stop Jamal Murray, which allowed him to get his little Murray flurry going. Playing against a guy like Patrick Beverly is going to really change the way that Jamal Murray can play because Patrick Beverly is going to be on him like glue. So Nikola Jokic is probably going to have to step up and take a bigger load if Pat Beverly is available, if he's defending Jamal Murray, because Jamal Murray is not going to be able to play as freely as he did against the Jazz. Yeah. Uh, if, if Bev isn't out there to put pressure on Murray, the Clippers actually have other guys who can do it. I mean, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, count out Paul George guarding mm. Murray some and, and Murray has struggled with length and, and Paul George one of the longest rangiest defenders in the NBA so the the Pat Beverly matchup I think while it is not ideal in the grand scheme of things it might be a better matchup for Murray than the alternatives now we'll see I mean obviously Doc isn't going to show us anything in game one that's the first thing we should know about Doc Rivers is that we're not going to see anything so Pat Beverly probably not going to play in game one that'd mm-hmm. be my guess um and I I'm going to guess that they're going to guard Murray straight up with uh Reggie Jackson or Lou Williams or whoever and just hope it works out maybe you get some Landry Shamit chase him around when he's off the ball 
I don't know that they're that worried about the Murray matchup. They have handled guards very well this year. But the Jokic-Zubac mm-hmm. matchup is going to be the series, I think. We know what Kawhi is going to do. I think we know what PG is going to do. It seems like he's gotten over that that hurdle he was dealing with. Um, but Jokic and Zubac could tilt the series toward the Nuggets in a way that I think would be interesting. If you have to make that defense help out on Jokic inside, all of a sudden the guys that can shoot for the mm-hmm. Nuggets get get more open shots. I mean, you know, Kawhi and PG are going to have to dig in on Jokic because he's just he's big. And Zubac struggles with that. And I mean, I think we saw a little bit of that in that Mavericks uh, Clippers series with handling Boban. And he's obviously a very large human being, maybe even bigger than Nikola Jokic. But I mean, obviously, Nikola's skill set is a little bit different than Boban's. But it, it requires just not or just as much, maybe even more attention, as you said. And so I think... I mean, that, I feel like that definitely has to be part of the plan of attack for the Nuggets is let's get Nikola Jokic to draw as many defenders as we can. That way you guys can have some breathing room. And then it's going to be important for those guys who do get open because they're double or triple teaming Jokic to knock down their open shots, which I think that they struggled with a little bit here and there during the Jazz series. They couldn't hit open shots sometimes. And if you're open because your defender is on someone else, you need to be able to hit yeah. that. The, the few open shots that they're going to get in this series, they're going to need to stick because mm-hmm. the contested ones are going to be really contested. And they they shot well in the series against Utah, but yeah. as you as you said, the role players really didn't in the in that series. I mean, it was it was Jamal and it mm-hmm. was Jokic, but like Tori Craig had a couple of games where. He couldn't. He couldn't hit the broadside of a barn. So I, I do. I'm with you. Like they're going to have to win that way. Now I don't expect them to necessarily, but I, th- if they're going to win, that's how they're going to win. The one other thing that I think going into the series we have to talk about, even though I, I kind of know the answer to this question, um, who the hell is going to guard Kawhi and Paul George? Because my answer right now is nobody. Uh, can Tory Craig do that? I mean, I, mean, I think I think have to. Gary, I think Gary Harris might be a little bit too small. It, it seems to me that's going to come down to Jeremy Grant and Tory Craig, and it, and it probably will. And this is the thing: is that they they're pro- similar to how the Clippers are probably going to have to throw some doubles at Jokic. The Nuggets are going to have to probably throw some doubles at Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. I mean, we. We saw them struggle defending these guys in the regular series. The Clippers had a 2-1 edge in that regular season series between the two of them, including that horrendous Nuggets loss in February down in Los Angeles where the Clippers just came out and were more physical. Just They came ready and the Nuggets did not. And, you know, by doubling them, that also similar to the nugget, the Nuggets being open if someone doubles Jokic, that leaves someone else open on the Clippers as well, but it's going to be a really tough challenge for them. So I think the Nuggets almost need to take an approach of, of course, they're going to defend Paul George and Kawhi Leonard as best they can, but kind of similar to dealing with Donovan Mitchell. Okay. He's going to get his, no matter what we need to eliminate every other threat there is around us so that it's all Paul George, all Kawhi Leonard, and they can't get any help from anyone else. But that's, I mean, (laughs) (laughs) 
maybe not it's realistic. not doable. I'm not saying it's yeah. doable. <laughs> yeah, it it's uh you know, Kawhi's ability to just dominate in the mid-range is really going to put a lot of pressure on on the Nuggets and the way they defend. Um, I'm not so worried about the lack of rim protection, to be honest with you, because mm-hmm. so much of what the Clippers do is isolation-based, and, you know, they're just yeah. not getting to the rim as much as, as other teams. But with that being said, they're so elite at what they do, uh, and then they stop you from doing anything you're good at. They just feel unbeatable unless you have a lot of talent. I mean, that's going to be such a challenge for this Nuggets team going against such a defensive-minded team. Like The Nuggets like to consider themselves a defensive-first team. But when you're going against a team... That's that's not reality. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, and and, and that's the thing is that they've been struggling with their defense. So you're a struggling defensive-minded team going against a team that is a better defensive-minded team... It's this. This is the first time in the Nuggets' recent playoff history because you know before last season they hadn't been there in quite some time. Yeah, this is the first time in the past two years that they've played a team that is actually a title contender, and so I'm really interested to see how they deal with that. This team was built. The Clippers, they were built to win a championship. The Nuggets were drafted to then develop into a title contending team and they are still in that developmental stage. So I'm really interested to see how they handle this because they've never faced, they've never played in a best of seven series against a team like this Clippers team. And that is just the ultimate shade on the Portland Trailblazers who <laughs> made it to the Western Conference Finals last year, but were not a serious contender. But I agree with you. It's, it is actually – All respect to the Blazers. <laughs> it's correct, though. They were not legitimate contenders, and I don't care what they say. So uh, I'm right there with you. Okay. Now we're at the very fun part. Woo. Okay. I'm going to – This is – I mean, no money on the line, only, you know – Credit and I know you gotta eventually walk around Denver again. Um, Put some. They, I don't with my mask and sunglasses. No one can tell who I am. There you go. Uh, <laughs> let's make predictions here because it is. I think it's gonna go one way, but I could see how it could go the other. But I want to let you go first. I am saying Clippers in five, maybe six. But five is how I'm feeling right now. And I think the Clippers are going to come out. And I think I think they're going to win this first game um, for sure. I think maybe the Nuggets could then get it together for the second game. And then I think the Clippers would win the next three after that. But, I mean, the Nuggets are exhausted right now. We could see that in game seven. We could see that their energy after that surge in games five and six, their energy was dwindling. And I don't know if you watched Sports Center last night, but when Scott Van Pelt told Jamal Murray that his game was on Thursday, his face like went blank. And he said, we don't have two days off. It's the day after tomorrow. Because he wanted to have those two, they all wanted to have those two days, yeah. one day to rest and maybe watch film, talk about it, and then the next day to get back on the court. They didn't do anything physical in practice today. Mike Malone told us that today. It was that day of watching film, talking about the Clippers' plays, their matchups, all of that stuff, because he wanted to give them physical rest. I don't think that one day is enough 
to come out against this Clippers team who has been waiting very patiently for more than one day, for a couple days for this, for this matchup. So I think that the first game, the Nuggets are going to struggle. You know, they've been so focused on this seven game series and beating the Jazz. And now so quickly they have to turn. And yes, of course, during the regular season, you have to have a very quick turnaround, but the playoffs are different. Like you're going in the regular season, you're going from one team to the next team, to the next team, to the next team. They just spent seven games, two weeks focused on one team. And now it's forget everything we talked about pretty much these past two weeks. And here's a better team, a better defensive team with two of the best wings in the league. Go. And that's going to be really tough for the Nuggets. Well, you mentioned just physical fatigue. There's the mental aspect of this too. They Completely. were down 3-1. They were down 3-1. They just had three game sevens. Yeah. And that's huge. And they know they need to come out and probably win game one. That's a mm-hmm. lot of pressure. I mean, we we watched the Blazers this year. They they basically in the in the bubble, they played eight seeding games that were basically game sevens, knowing they needed to win all of them. And then they went into that playoff and they won that first one playing like it was a game seven, and they looked dead tired after that. Yeah. So I'm worried about the wheels falling off as well. Uh, again, going down three one in the first round is not an ideal scenario. Uh, I haven't looked this up, but I probably should. But I wonder how teams fare when they've come back from 3-1. I mean, obviously, we've had it happen once in the finals. But I I wonder, how do teams, you know, how do they usually fare in the next series when they go down 3-1? Worried a lot about these guys just being beat down mentally from having to be so up the entire time they're on the court. And I think we also have to, speaking of mentally, you know, as mentally taxing as a coming back from 3-1 is there's also the additional just mental strains that have been put on them by the walkouts, by being in a bubble, by so many different scenarios that they've never been in that, yeah, mentally, you know, Malone said today, he goes, I woke up this morning and I felt really tired and I didn't play a single minute in that seven game series. I was tired this morning too. And I didn't, I was sitting on my couch watching the game. (laughs) So, I mean, it's, it's going to take a lot of guts and effort from this Nuggets team to, to, Mm -hmm. to come out strong. Yep. And with all that couching, I just did Clippers in five, (laughs) and it's probably going to feel like four. They're going to beat them in at least two of those games where it's just going to feel, you know, like it wasn't even a contest. Uh, That's going to do it for this week. We'll be back next week uh, where hopefully we can talk about a couple of Denver wins. We'll see. Uh, For Kendra Andrews, I'm Dave DeFore. Thanks for listening to Rainbow Skyline.